We're, we have our studies through the Old Testament, but we're going to have a little precursory study in uh, the New Testament and look at some passages in the New Testament. Um, and if we can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You know, I have to say, I'm kind of, uh, we're, we're spoiled in terms of having the full counsel of the Word of God, Genesis to Revelation. So we're going to look at passages that are, you know, where we're at in our study in Exodus. It's um, it's bittersweet. It's, it's bittersweet because um, what Israel gets involved with, you know, ultimately, they're going to be worshiping a, a calf. They're going to fashion a golden calf. And uh, they're going to be worshiping this calf pretty soon in our study in Exodus. And, you know, what we're going to look at are some passages to see, like, you know, idolatry, even in the life of a Christian. You know, what does idolatry look like? And the Lord tells us, like, to, to not play games with these, not mess around with idolatrous things. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, Paul writes, he says, Moreover, brethren... I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Notice the capital R. You know, you we're going to see these little uh, theophanies, Christophanies in the Old Testament. And Paul is straight up saying, hey, that rock was Christ. But then in verse 5, it takes a little turn. He says, but with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples. And you think like, whoa, wait a second. I thought God is a God of love. I thought he loves us. Yes, he does love us. But that doesn't mean we're to take advantage of God's grace and his mercy and his love. We're not to take advantage of these things. And these are examples. What happened in the Old Testament, they're examples for us. He says, now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. I have to tell you, this comes with a renewing of the mind, you know, a transformation of the mind where you can take a person who has these lusts of the flesh, sex, drugs, rock and roll, has these lusts of the flesh. And once that mind, once that person subjects himself or herself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and studies the word, something supernatural happens where the Holy Spirit will change a guy, change a gal for his glory. And he does the work inside of the temple. And Paul is saying, hey, don't lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. This is a passage in Exodus where the people actually rose up to worship the golden calf. And Paul is saying, don't become idolaters to create another God. You know, to make sure that you're following the Lord of the Bible, the God of the Bible. Because so many people say, oh, yeah, you know, I'm a Christian and I believe in this. I'm a Christian and I believe in that. Well, what if the, the this and that does not align with Scripture? We're living in very dark days, days of deception. And it's all over the place. 
I was uh, listening to some uh, uh, preachers recently, godly preachers, preachers where if I wasn't called to be a pastor, I would, you know, move. I would relocate to these places and subject myself to their teaching because they're spot on. And it's so interesting how they're preparing their churches for, I meant like the last days, like straight up the last days. And telling people not to align with, you know, what they see in the world, not to align with the things of the world, but to align with the Holy Spirit and to align with the things of the word. And it's very, very comforting, very comforting, because sometimes you kind of feel like an island unto yourself. And to see like, no, there's a remnant. And Paul teaches that in the book of uh, Romans, you know, that there's a remnant according to grace. And then he says in verse 8, he says, Nor let us commit sexual immorality as as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. He says it again here in verse 11. He says, Now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall these are very very hardcore words and remember the church in corinth was a very very carnal church and then paul says you know hey you guys your rejoicing is not a good thing you need to repent and return to the lord And what's so beautiful about 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians is that you see a change in the church. You see repentance and then you see restoration because 2 Corinthians is a totally different, it's addressing a different people. And then Paul starts to teach him about about spiritual warfare. And these passages that we look at in Exodus, Paul says, hey, these things are examples for us. Now you say like, okay, what is the issue? Well, let's look at the issue. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 106. Psalm 106. Psalm 106 verse 19. And I'm fast forwarding a little bit because we're not in Exodus 32 yet. Exodus 32 is the account of the golden calf that the people make. And what happens here, he says in, uh, ex, or, or in Psalm uh, 106, verse 19, they made a calf in Horeb. Now, if you, you know, just really quick, if you look at verse 12, verse 12 is a beautiful verse. It says, then they believed his words. They sang his praise. And you look at one verse alone, you're like, wow, praise the Lord. This is awesome. The people believe in the Lord. They sing praises unto his name. But what happens? What happens? I mean, have you ever talked with somebody where you've been estranged from somebody for a while? And you know, you're like, wow, I remember we used to worship the Lord together. We used to meet in these prayer meetings. We used to do all these things. We used to study the Bible. And then you're like, you're, you're caught up with them. You're no longer estranged from them. But then you find out, wow, they're estranged from the Lord. What happened? What on earth happened? And here in verse 19, look at what he says. He says, they made a calf in Horeb and worshipped the molded image. This is idolatry. They created another God. 
And then he says, thus they changed their glory into the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their savior. God becomes a forgotten thing. God becomes forgotten. Can that happen to you and me? Yes, it can. You know, I pray it doesn't happen. But you know, anybody can start a race. It's a piece of cake to start a race. I don't run like I used to run. Back in the day, I used to run. But I don't run anymore. <laughs> you know, I can walk fast, but not too long. But you know, it's such a trip because at, a, at the beginning point of a race, it's cr a big, huge crowds of people. You know, and then all of a sudden the gun goes off or the siren goes off or whatever. And everybody starts to book it. And you start to see the big crowd of people. It starts to thin out. You know, some people walk. You know, some people have their dogs, you know, and they walk with their dogs. Some of the, you know, the more family-oriented ones. But who is the one that finishes the race? It's a race. Every single one of us, myself included, we're all in the same boat. Not just to start. Not just to hit the midpoint, but to finish well. To finish well. And this relationship that we have with the Lord, it's supposed to grow and get better and be nurtured and be cultivated. That's the fellowship of the saints. You know, individually, we have, you know, things that we can do, aligning with Holy Scripture, yielding to Him, and the Lord will cultivate these things in our lives. But then at the same time, what about a husband's, rela a husband's relationship with his wife or a wife's relationship with her husband? What can I do to cultivate these things in my wife? You know, do I, you know, the, the fruit is growing. Do I chop away at the fruit? Or does the wife chop away at the fruit in my life? And then what about to those around us, friends, family? You know, we're called to be the salt and the light. This is what happens when the Lord becomes a forgotten thing. What happens in this idolatrous nature of Israel? You know, and don't forget, you know, there's redemption that happens. But it's kind of sad because it's like, well, it, it doesn't have to happen this way. And this is why Paul always writes. It's so beautiful to, I mean, when you look at the ebb and flow of the New Testament in terms of, you know, uh, uh, the gospels of Jesus Christ. And then when the apostles or when the disciples become apostles, they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then what happens, they start to preach the good news. They start to teach. And then like all these people come to Christ. Thousands and thousands of people. And then when you're done with the book of Acts, Something happens. If you remember in Acts 20, you hear me refer to it sometimes. But Paul is like crying with the elders. He's weeping with the elders and they're embracing him. And he's like, guys, you guys have to contend for the faith. Because when I leave, wolves will come in. And wolves even amongst yourselves. Wolves will come in. Not sparing the flock. And then what do you see after the book of Acts? You get to the book of Romans. And it's like, wow, you know, the war, the, 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 it's like a different front on the battlefield you know and it blows me away because all these books all these epistles that are written by john by by uh, paul by james you know by jude it's like an exhortation to, to the church to the believers like hey get rid of these things get rid of these uh, that's how you used to be that's not the new person in christ paul even says did i labor for you in vain that's what happens when God becomes forgotten. People start to take advantage of God's grace. 
and they say, oh, yeah, I'll go ahead and do this. God will forgive me. And it's like, wow, each time they do that, their heart becomes harder and harder and harder. So in verse 21 of Psalm 106 says they forgot God, their savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, awesome things by the Red Sea. Therefore, he said that he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he destroy them. So Moses was a, 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 a intercessor. Moses interceded for the people. God wanted to destroy the people. It doesn't just happen in Exodus 32. You know, when uh, uh, the, the Moses is, you know, the Lord is saying, Moses, you know, step aside. I'm going to destroy all these people and I'm going to create a nation from you. You know, and it doesn't just happen there. It happens repeatedly. And all these times you see these people that are interceding, just as Job interceded for his family. You see all these people, men of God, women of God, who go and intercede on behalf of, an, of another. Lord, be merciful on these people. In verse 24, look at the heart of the people. Then they despised the pleasant land. You know, the land of milk and honey becomes a despised thing. What about in our lives? You pray, Lord, give me this. Lord, can you bless me with this? Lord, can you help me with this? Can you do this? And then all of a sudden he does it. And then it's like all of a sudden it becomes a despised thing. And then in verse 24, they did not believe his word, but complained in their tents and did not heed the voice of the Lord. There's no more, uh, uh, there's no more obedience to the Lord. He did not, and they did not heed the voice of the Lord. Therefore, he raised his hand in an oath against them to overthrow them in the wilderness, to overthrow their descendants among the nations and to scatter them in the lands. So God is not heeded. He's not sought after. He's not believed. And then he becomes a forgotten thing. In verse 39, it says, Thus they were defiled by their own works and played the harlot by their own deeds. By their own deeds. No one to blame but themselves. Now, if I were a Calvinist, which I'm definitely not, I would say, you see, God predestined them for this. But that's garbage. That's a lie from the pit of hell. That's what happens when God becomes a forgotten thing. It says in verse 13, they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness. You start to see the nature of these things when people start to let go of their mental faculties. And I say mental faculties, but really it's like letting go of the promises of the Lord. Being patient on the Lord, being patient for Him. Believing in Him, having trust in His mighty hand. So we see what Paul warns us about in 1 Corinthians 10. We see the egregious nature of God's people, what happens here in Psalm 106. Now let's turn to Exodus. All this was like precursory study, like an introduction. To Exodus 24. That's why I say this is kind of bittersweet. 
Because it's really, a, I mean, the next multi, like uh, several chapters up until 32, chapter 32, it's really beautiful. Like incredibly beautiful what God is doing for Israel with Moses, for uh, uh, um, the elders, for Aaron, with Joshua. It's exceedingly beautiful. And things are about to change in Exodus 32. They're about to change. And I know that's a several chapters ahead of us, but it all wraps around the same event. It all wraps around the same event, which culminates at the golden calf. And so here in chapter 24 of Exodus, verse 1, says, Now he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord. Now, so remember, the Lord is giving these statutes to Moses to give to the people. And now the Lord is saying to Moses, Hey, Moses, I want you to come up here. Remember, it's at Mount Sinai, but I want you to come up to the mountain. I want to speak with you. He says, he said to, 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 to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu. Now, Aaron is the brother of Moses. And Nadab and Abihu, they are Aaron's sons, the sons of Aaron. And then he says, and 70 of the elders of Israel and worship from afar. This word for worship, I mean, of course, it means worship. But it translates in the Hebrew as to have reverence for the Lord and to lay prostrate on the ground. To lay prostrate on the ground. Complete and total humility unto the Lord. I mean, it, it, you can't be prideful when you're laying face down on the floor. It's impossible to be prideful. But to subject yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And worship Him and have reverence for Him. And that's what the Lord is doing here with these people. saying, hey, you know, come up here and worship. Come up here and worship. And notice what happens. You know, we're spoiled. We have the full counsel of God. We know what happens. But what happens inside the heart? What is it that happens inside of a heart? I mean, here the people, they're like on fire for the Lord. Everybody, all of Israel is on fire for the Lord. And not even like, you know, 40 days passed. I mean, a like a little bit more than 40 days, 40 days and 40 nights. And they're going to be worshiping the golden calf. What, what on earth happened? What happened? You know, and it blows me away because the Lord here, you know, despite all this mess and chaos that is happening in the world, even that is happening inside the church, you know, it's like, don't even worry about it because the Lord, I mean, worry about it in terms of like understanding the times. But also understand that there is a remnant. There is a remnant. And just as there's a remnant in the Old Testament, there's also a remnant according to grace. According to grace. It's the remnant church, the remnant body of believers of the last days. And, you know, the Lord says here in verse 2, And Moses alone shall come near the Lord. But they shall not, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. So do you remember when we started our study in the book of Exodus? I mean, it's been a while now. But you see the account of Moses as a little boy. Moses as a fresh baby. And the command was given by Pharaoh to kill all the boys, to kill all the baby boys. And then you have, you know, the mom 
You know, she takes them, puts them in a basket, and just like, okay, Lord, he's in your hands. He's in your hands. And then his sister is like, you know, she walks along the reeds to see what happens, and it tr- turns out that she, he goes into the home of the Pharaoh's daughter. But then what happens? Like, you know, when he's a little kid, and then all of a sudden when he's kicked out of Egypt, I mean, if you picture how alone he must have felt. And, I, you know, it, I, I try not to get emotional because you know emotions can lead to all kinds of things but this lonely state of a guy who has no idea is he hebrew you know he was raised egyptian but he discovers that he's hebrew and it's like i don't even know him you know i don't even know the lord and then all of a sudden you know he gets married he has his wife who's a shepherd and then moses becomes a shepherd and it's like wow how did he learn to shepherd the flock of jethro his wife taught him his wife showed him and so all of a sudden you know he's shepherding the the flock of of jethro and then boom the fire comes he sees a tree that's on fire but it doesn't burn then he hears a voice moses i mean think about what could have happened you know he could have just said what in the world this is crazy i'm out of here but then, no, he, he yielded to the voice and went to the voice. And then the Lord told him, Moses, remove your sandals for the place where you stand is holy ground. And he didn't say, wow, this is crazy. What on earth, you know, and like mock him or anything like that. He was obedient. He took off his sandals. And the Lord revealed himself. Just like the Lord reveals himself to you and to me through his word. Through his word. And it's such a trip because all these things that happened in the life of Moses were building blocks to something great. Leading God's people. Leading God's people and having one ship with the Lord. And so like in verse 2, the Lord is saying here, And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up to him, go up with him. So there's this special intimacy that Moses has with the Lord. And it reminds me a lot about your intimacy with the Lord and my intimacy with the Lord. You know, what is it that the Lord wants to do in your life and my life? What is it that the it's like, I don't know. You don't know either. But to trust in his hand. You know, all these things are building blocks. Just like in the life of Moses, all these things were building blocks. You know, he came out of Egypt and then, you know, the Lord did a work in him, worked in his heart. And then all of a sudden the Lord says, hey, you're going to go back to Egypt. I'm going to use you. You're my vessel. What is it that the Lord is speaking to your heart? Or maybe he wants to, you know, bring you like baby steps. I'm going to do something great in your life. And a lot of times we don't think in those terms. We don't think in these concepts of, Lord, what is it that you're preparing me for in 20 years, in 40 years? Don't forget, Moses was an old man. He was an old man. He wasn't like a young whippersnapper. And a lot of times the old people get, you know, they get kind of uh, the, the short end of the stick in fellowships. You know, I know a guy who went to a church with old people and he goes and tells the old people, hey, this church is dead. Your church is dead. There's no young people here. And then he comes and tells me, hey, yeah, I went to this church and there's a bunch of old people. And I told him, hey, this church is dead. How can, how can he even say that? 
You know, number one, Moses was an old man. But then number two, when the Lord told Moses to go back to, to Egypt, the Lord told him, hey, go and speak to the old people. You know, I'm going to use the old people. I'm, they're going to be little helpers to you, the old people. You know, and it's such a trip because it's like, you know, a lot of times we don't think in these terms. Like, what is it that the Lord is going to do in five years and 10 years and 20 years? What about for the rest of your life? That's why you start now. You start now yielding to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and learning. And then so he says in verse three, you know, like the Lord tells him to go up to the mountain. But like this is like uh, he's preparing for the journey. But before he goes to the journey, he has to take care of some stuff. He has to do some things. And it's so beautiful what Moses does for the people in interceding for the people, honoring the Lord and blessing the people. He says in verse three, so Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments or statutes. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has said, we will do. This is the voice of the people. All the words which the Lord has said, we will do. And you know what's so sad? You know, it kills me. And it only kills me because we're spoiled. We have the full counsel of the word of God. We know what happens in Exodus 32 with the golden calf. And the people here, they're saying all the words which the Lord has said, we will do. This is one of the last things Moses heard the people say. One of the very last things Moses heard the people say. And it blows me away because when Moses comes back from the mountain, he, he tells the people, Hey, if you're with God, come here and stand next to me. Come here and stand next to me. And you know, not everybody. The majority of people, they didn't come to Moses. Remember what we read in, in 1 Corinthians 10 when the Lord says, With most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. And Paul says, Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted and do not become idolaters. In verse 8, nor let us commit sexual immorality. Verse 10, nor let us tempt Christ. Verse 10, or verse 9, nor let us tempt Christ. Verse 10, nor complain. And Paul writes, all these things happen to them as examples. As examples. You think like, whoa, this is heavy. And here in verse 3, the people are saying straight up, all the words which the Lord has said, we will do. And you read that and you're like, wow, praise the Lord. Praise, praise, praise the Lord. This is a beautiful, beautiful verse. And indeed it is. It is. But if you take what happens right here? And you fast forward 40 days. It's a different story. It's a totally, totally different story. Right now, you know, it's going to take a while before we get to chapter 32. But the people are straight up saying all the words which the Lord has said we will do. And then so the next time when Moses speaks to them, he's straight up dividing the people. If you're with God, stand here next to me. And then he says, lay them waste. Kill them. Destroy them. And then after all that happens, after all that happens, Moses, he then goes to the Lord. 
Just him. Just Moses and the Lord. He goes to the Lord and he says, Lord, forgive them. Forgive the people. And he says, Lord, if you're not going to forgive the people, then take my name and blot it out of the book of life. Blot it out of the book of life. This is a totally different Moses. A totally, completely different Moses. You see, what when the Lord takes a heart, I shouldn't say it that way. When somebody gives their heart to the Lord and gives their mind to the Lord and the Lord says, okay, because you've given this to me, now it's mine. He does a complete and total gut job inside of that heart, inside of that mind. Instead of being my vessel, instead of being your vessel, it's now the Lord's vessel. I mean, can you imagine how selfless Moses was to say, Lord, if you're not going to forgive these people, then take my name and just rip it up and throw it in the trash. Take my name out of the book of life. That's straight up intercession. What a beautiful, beautiful man. I'm just, I, I can't, like, I fall in love with these people. It's like you know the account already. But then when you, like, fathom it and you look at these other passages and you see the depths of, you know, what the Lord is doing with the people, you know, sometimes they get into such crazy pits. And then you see the love of the Lord. And who is it that the Lord is using to intercede? These beautiful prophets of old, Moses. In verse 4, it says... And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars, according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And you know what's sad about here? What's sad here is that this is the same place where the golden calf is later worshipped. It's later worshipped right here where Moses is building an altar at the foot of the mountain with 12 pillars, according to the 12 tribes. Not only is it where the golden calf is worshipped by the people, it's also where the two tablets are destroyed. Forty days later from this point. Forty days later. You see what happens when God becomes forgotten? That's what happens when we play games with sin. Yeah, I'll go ahead and take this crack. Yeah, I'll go ahead and, you know, roll this as tight as I can. I'll go ahead and do this. Nobody's watching. I'll go ahead and, you know, watch pornography. I'll go ahead and do all these things. What, whatever. You know, if we were like 30 years ago, it'd be, I, you know, I wouldn't speak this way. Because, it, you know, it, it's... Right now, it's all out in the open. You can just go inside a church and look at all these things that are happening. In, amongst God's people. And remember, judgment comes first in the house of God. God didn't spare Israel. God didn't even spare the angels. And so Paul writes about all these people saying, oh yeah, we're of the elect, we're of the elect. And Paul writes, hey, God didn't spare the angels. And it's such a trip because it's like 40 days. The people forgot. And yet it's so cool is that you see that what the Lord is doing with this remnant of people a remnant of people. And I say remnant, and it's really just two. I'll explain that more as we get on. Lord willing, we'll be able to finish the chapter today. It's just, you know, 18 verses. And so in verse 5, 
Then he sent young men, or you know, it trans translates as to send away for a task. And this is what the task is. He says he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. You see, and it's so beautiful. Remember verse 3, the last part of verse 3. All the people of God says, this is what they say. It says with one voice. It says, and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has said we will do. It's like, wow, this is so beautiful what is happening here. So beautiful. And so in verse 6, and Moses took half the blood and put it in a basins. And half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Remember, in accordance with the law, life is in the blood. This is atonement. This is what Moses is doing, interceding for the people. He takes the blood. He sprinkles it on the altar. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, remember, without blood, there is no remission. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. Without blood, there is no remission or there is no forgiveness without blood. And then he says in verse 7, then he took the book of the covenant. You know, also in Hebrews, it is written that what Moses did, did is he took some of the blood and he also put it on the book too. That the book was sprinkled with blood. And so it says, then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people. And they said, they say it again. What is it again? All that the Lord has said, we will do. And be obedient. Be obedient. This is the voice of the people. And what happens in 40 years or 40 days? What happens in 40 days? You know, God becomes a forgotten thing. In 40 days. You know, I shouldn't say 40 days. Because 40 days, I mean, everybody says like, you know, rape and murder. I mean, yeah, those are bad things. I mean, the act of murder, the act of rape. Yes, it's disgusting. It's so, it, I, I hate it. But, I mean, as bad as it is, something happens inside the mind first. That leads to murder, that leads to rape, that leads to all the pride of life and all kinds of things. You know, you look at, you know, I watched this, uh, I listened to this interview one time with Ted Bundy. He would rape and murder, kidnap women and rape them and murder them. And it was revealed in the interview that he got started in pornography to objectify women. You know, and it's like he objectified women and then he just saw women, he, like the value of a woman. Just There was no value in a woman. He just thought, you know, this is for my pleasure and I'm going to take you know, and he said it all started with pornography. The same with um, Jeffrey Dahmer. Pornography. To the, 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 the devalue a human life and say this is an object for my pleasure. You know, but, you know, yes, they committed these egregious sins. They murdered, they raped, they did all these things. But what happened in their mind? Not just the act of murder, the act of rape. What happened in their mind a week ago, a week prior to the first murder? What happened in their mind a year prior to their first murder, their first rape? What happened in their childhood to say, hey, cut that out? You know, and it blows me away because, yeah, we're looking at Israel. 
And in 40 days, they worship a golden calf. And you know, the process of forgetting the Lord, forgetting the hand of the Lord, it's not immediate. It's a process. You see somebody who's on fire for the Lord one day. And then fast forward 10 years later, is he or she still walking with the Lord? I, I wish that were the case. I want to say in my heart of hearts, yes, please let that be the case. But no, starting a race is a piece of cake. Every single one of us, myself included, must finish well. Finish well. And the people here are saying, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. In verse 8, And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant. Does that sound familiar? This is the blood of the covenant. Jesus Christ said those very words in the upper room, except he said, This is the blood of the new covenant. The new covenant. And this right here is the blood of the old covenant. Remember? The law, the covenant of the law. And this is what Moses is establishing right here. God is establishing it through Moses, I should say. This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. And when you read Hebrews and you match it with this, what happens? And in Hebrews, uh, 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 Hebrews 9, you see that the blood is sprinkled. Moses takes the blood, sprinkles it on the people, sprinkles it on the book, and then sprinkles it on the altar on the altar, the very place where consecration unto the Lord is made. There's blood on the book, blood on the people, and blood on the altar. It's, and all these things, it's like, well, as, as New Covenant believers, we read this and it's like, well, that's like you, that's like me. The blood of the lamb over our heart, the doorpost of our heart, the blood of the lamb. And you remember, the word became flesh. You see, like, Lord, I don't have, you know, I don't have a million dollars to give. I don't have fine diamonds to give. And you don't have to. You give him your heart. You give him your heart. All these Old Testament examples of future events, good and bad. And so in verse 9, the journey now begins of what the Lord told him to do. In verse 1, when the Lord says, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Now Moses is doing it. He's, he's beginning his journey. In verse 9 says, Then Moses went up. Also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, these are Aaron's sons, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And... They saw the God of Israel. Now, it's true that no one has seen the Lord and lived. But, you know, and it's what's, how it translates here is that they saw the Lord. It translates as to behold, perceive, and experience. And I think it's so cool here because they start to describe what they saw. It says, and there was, and there was under his feet, as it were, there's no description of a face. Because remember, no one has seen the Lord, the face of the Lord. But, you know, I should preface that by saying or, or, or you know, uh, preface that by saying that until Jesus Christ, until Jesus Christ. But he says here that they, instead of describing a face, they start to describe the feet instead. It says, and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. And it was like a it was like the very heavens in its clarity. 
So it's like the way I, I mean, it's, it's, you know, you have all these passages in the Old Testament where God is revealed or God reveals himself. Like with um, Elijah, when the Lord takes Elijah up to the mountain, you know, and he says, you know, this big earthquake happens, this big windstorm and all these things. And it's like, but the Lord wasn't there. And then a still small voice. And that's where the Lord was. That's where the Lord was. Sometimes we expect to see these big, you know, magnificent things. What about the very words that are before us today in this holy book? It's like, wow, we behold the Lord. Remember, the word became flesh. He says here in verse 10, and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles, you know, which is the, the Levites and the elders. Because remember, he said, the Lord told them, take Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And so on these nobles, it says, of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. No one died. They all lived. They all lived. So they saw God and they ate and drank. Now, I'm not trying to make any correlation here, but this really, really reminds me of the upper room. Of the upper room. Remember? Like what happens here in verse 8. This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. And now what's happening here, it says, uh, uh, so they saw God and ate and drank. Remember what happened in the upper room? When the Lord says, this is the blood of my covenant. This is the blood of the new covenant, which I give in my blood. And they have a meal together. And, you know, if you remember a couple weeks ago, I gave a little homework assignment. You know, And if you're willing to read John 13 through 17. Beautiful, beautiful passages of what happens in the upper room. And how the Lord prays for his people, his, the believers. And not just the believers then, the believers today. How the Lord prays for you and he prayed for me. And so look what happens here. This special intimacy that the Lord has with Moses. In verse 12, Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and be there. How it translates is to say like, be there for a while. Come up to me on the mountain and be there or be here for a while. And I will give you tablets of stone and and the I will give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments which I have written that you may teach them. And whenever you have intimacy with the Lord, you know, don't put a lid on the bottle, you know, if you consider your body as a vessel, don't put a lid on it, you know, because the Lord will fill the vessel. And then all of a sudden the Lord, it, you're so full. Not a fool of yourself. It might, it might be that you're full of yourself. I pray it never happens. But you're so full of what the Lord is pouring into you. And because you have no lid, it starts to pour out. And it pours out and it just soaks everybody that is around you. That's called being the salt and being the light. That's what happens with this special intimacy. That anybody has with the Lord. It's not immediate though. You have intimacy with the Lord. You yield to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You submit yourself unto the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And then something supernatural happens. I can't explain it. I cannot explain it. It's a supernatural event. And the Lord is saying, 
You know, this is happening so that you may teach them to teach the people. And now this is so beautiful in verse 13. So Moses arose with his assistant, Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. So you see this intimacy that Moses has with the Lord. But then there's also intimacy with Joshua, who was his assistant. Remember, Joshua is number two in command after Moses. When Moses dies, it's Joshua who's going to lead the people through the promised land. And you see, like the events of what happens with the golden calf and all these disgusting things that are happening inside the camp. Moses was not exposed to it. And also Joshua was not exposed to it. A very, very special intimacy that the Lord has with these people. Not just for the heck of it. To lead his people. To teach them and to train them. And Joshua, Moses is, is more of a, of a shepherd. Kind of like the shepherding nature of Jesus Christ. An Old Testament example of Jesus Christ. And then Joshua is also a shepherd. But then also a warrior. All these attributes of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament as a shadow of things to come. And then also Jeremiah too. like Jer As an example, not that he's here, but as an example with Jeremiah. Because Jeremiah was, they call him the weeping, or the, uh, the, the weeping prophet, the lonely prophet. Forsaken by all the teachers. You know who else was forsaken by the, all the religious leaders is Jesus Christ. But then at the same time, what happens to, to Jeremiah? They threw him in a well. They just thought, man, this guy's so stupid. Oh, we're, you know, God is for us. We're Judah. We're hardcore. Who is this Jeremiah guy? Get him out of here. They throw him in a well. Man, it's such a trip. And then, you know, like you read Lamentations. Lamentations kills me. It's hard to read. Because it's like the, I like to think of it as like a dirge for Israel, for Judah. You know, and it. it it's a trip. All these people, the religious leaders, what we're studying, I gotta, yeah. what we're studying in, in Matthew, all these religious leaders, they knew they had the scrolls. They had the responsibility to read the scrolls and to study and to show themselves approved. And Jesus Christ comes on the scene and instead of bowing down and worshiping him, no, they kill him. They kill him. Israel is responsible and then Rome is responsible. Herod is responsible. You know what that means? Both Jew and Gentile. Jesus Christ is the lamb who was led to the slaughter. All these Old Testament examples. And what happens here? Moses, he arose with his assistant Joshua and Moses went up to the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed. Aaron and Hur are with you. These two guys are the ones who were holding Moses' arms up in the battle in chapter 17. We studied that a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago. I don't know when. But do you remember there was the battle with the uh, uh, Amalek? And Joshua was, you know, he was fighting. He went and fought. And it's like, you know, he goes and fights and he wins the battle. The Lord, you know, he wins the battle for him. And then they come back and then Moses tells him, hey, Joshua, this will happen. It helps him with his pride. Imagine if Joshua came back and Moses didn't say anything. Like, wow, look how awesome I am. I killed all these people. And then he came back and Moses was like, Joshua, this is what happened. When my arms went down, you were losing the battle. 
And then her and, and Aaron, they held my arms up and I was praying and seeking the Lord for you and praying that the Lord would fight for you. And every time I lift my arms, you would win the battle. You won, The Lord won the battle. You didn't win the battle. The Lord won the battle. The Lord is victorious. That's what's so beautiful about these, you know, these, uh, the fellowship of the saints. I'm not talking about, you know, sewing clubs. I'm not talking about, you know, golfing, you know, let's go golfing. I'm talking about like intimacy with the Lord and fellowship of the saints to say, hey, you know what? We're at battle. We're fighting. <laughs> you know, and I don't mean to laugh, forgive me, Lord. But it's like, you know, we're fighting. And, you know, it blows me away because people don't think in these concepts. But when you read the Bible, it's like explicitly clear. And so he say, he tells the people, the ones who the Lord says, hey, you know, bring these people up to the mountain, but not all the way up to the mountain. Moses, you're going to come all the way up to the mountain with me, with Joshua. And then, you know, Joshua separates from the, from, they all separate from the multitude, the camp of Israel. And then 70, they separate from them and go and they worship the Lord and they have a meal. And then all of a sudden, it's uh, 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 Moses and Joshua separate and they go up to the mountain. But Moses goes all the way up and he has oneness with the Lord. He says, Aaron and her are with you. If any man has difficulty or has matters and issues, let him go to them. And you know what's so sad? So you have these 70 elders with Aaron and with Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu. And they're here at this little plateau. And, you know, the camp of Israel's here. And they're at this little plateau. And then Moses and Joshua go up further. They separate from these two. And this, this group, they go back to the camp. Instead of staying there, they go back to the camp. They return to the camp. It's only Moses and Joshua, the next leader of Israel, that are undefiled. By the calf, the golden calf, and are partaking, part, partakers of what happens in chapter 32. That's what I'm talking about when I say there's a remnant. Because you know what happens in life? Like, as Christians, when I say in life, I'm speaking about our Christian life. Our, our life as believers. You're going to have people who, you know, they're Christians. You know, they say they love the Lord. They say they fear the Lord. But you know what? Proof is in the pudding. And then what happens? They'll be like, oh, you know what? It's ladies night. Let's go to this club over here. Married women, you know, let's go to this club. Not if they were single, it's better, you know, but, you know, married women. I'm just saying it's worse that way. Let's go to the club over here. Yeah, we're not going to get drunk. We're just going to get a little tipsy. Mind you, worship leaders too. worship leaders, ministry leaders. They go out ladies night and then they're going to come back and teach teenagers. Teach young girls. When they themselves are defiled by the world and the, you know, drinking, it's like, you know, come out of the world. And it blows me away because, you know what, it's pastors who are on drugs, alcohol, having sex like crazy, not with the wife. And it, it's, you know, our old pastor in California, he always, used to, he, he would... He would make mention of this one time. A wife came to him. Somebody, a guy's wife came to him. And said, hey, pastor, you know, we have marriage issues. You know, we got some stuff going on. 
And then they went down and sat together, you know, the wife and the husband, the pastor and the pastor's wife. And then they started to speak and all these things. And it came out the wife is, is HIV positive. And she was told, a virgin, got married to her husband and was faithful to her husband. And now she's HIV positive. She's dead now. But she got AIDS from her husband who was cheating on his wife. And it's like, whoa, you know, all these husbands say, oh, yeah, my wife is like this. My wife is like this. It's like, who cares about your wife? What about you? What about you? My wife doesn't do this. My wife doesn't do this. Who cares? What about you? What about you? You know, Satan hates men. You know, he wants to kill us. Because these, these men are being raised. It's like, you know, the, the fight is fierce. I'm not going to lie. I mean, you don't need me to tell you this. The fight is fierce. Kids who start taking drugs, kids who dabble with marijuana, which is like a gateway drug. And then all of a sudden they go to a party and their friends say, wow, you know, instead of pot, I got this now. And then, you know, sooner or later they're on LSD. You move to Stockton, California, it's legal. Or they're working to make it legal. And it's like, whoa, wait, what's happening here? The world is going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And you get to Revelation and the angel of the Lord is saying, come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people. All through the Bible, you have God who is, you know, he's telling the people, repent, 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 repent. But there's always a remnant. There's the majority. But then there's a remnant who's done playing games, who's not playing games with the Lord. And you know what? These are beautiful, beautiful people, such as the case with Jeremiah, Isaiah. Men, women, young, old, it doesn't matter. And so, you know, he's Moses is telling the people, telling them, he says, Aaron and her are with you. If any man has difficulty or issues, let him go to them. And you know what happens from this point on? These men join with the camp. They go back to the camp. Aaron is the one that, you know, when the people are like, hey, you know, Moses is dead. We want to build this calf. This is the calf that rescued us. Aaron is the one who facilitates that. Who was right here with Moses? The only two are Joshua and Moses. Then in verse 15, Moses went up into the mountain and a cloud covered the mountain. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. You know what's so cool about this verse? Just one little verse here in verse 16. And what's so cool about this verse is that Moses or the Lord told Moses, Hey Moses, come up to the mountain. I want to speak with you. I'm going to give you the law. I'm going to give you these tablets. And he didn't give a time frame to Moses. He didn't tell him beforehand, hey, I'm gonna, I want to speak to you and I'm going to be silent for four days, for five days, for six days. And I love this so much because you see the obedience of Moses. Because the Lord just told Moses, hey, Moses, come up to the mountain. And so Moses, in obedience, goes up to the mountain and he waits. He waits on the Lord. You know, I'm very impatient. And I love passages like this because it's like a knife right in my heart, right in my mind. To be patient on the Lord. 
Because verse 16 says, And the glory of the Lord rested on, on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. You know, Moses didn't say, well, it's been an hour. The Lord's not speaking. This is crazy. I'm out of here. Joshua, let's go back. Let's leave. He doesn't say that. He doesn't wait just three hours. He doesn't wait two days. He's obedient to the Lord, and he's also patient. Patient with the Lord. I have to tell you, impatience births a lot of problems. A lot of problems happen with impatience. And this is things that we can learn as we walk, as we grow, as we mature. The Lord will teach us. You know, to not only grow our fuse, but to also grow our, our little, uh, you know, our little hourglasses, our little time frames. In verse 17, the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. This is incredible because you know what happens? They see Israel, the people there at the camp, they look up at the mountain and then they see the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So they see these things. But then in the course of time, remember, Moses is up there for a while. And in the course of time, they figure, well, it's been a while. Moses hasn't come back yet. So, you know, they forget the Lord. The Lord becomes a forgotten thing. And so look what happens here in closing in verse 18. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. It's so beautiful what the Lord tells them in this intimacy that he has with the Lord. It's so incredibly beautiful. And this is what we're going to study in the coming chapters. The things that the Lord reveals to Moses and teaches him about. He not only gives them two tablets, the Ten Commandments, but he gives them more statutes on how to consecrate priests, how to consecrate the people. The very intimacy that he has with the Lord is the means by which restoration can happen for the people. God is giving him like instructions. Hey, this is how you restore the people. Meanwhile, what's happening? The people start to forget the Lord. You know what happens in our culture today? As people forget the Lord. Yeah, you know, it's sad that people forget the Lord. I wish the Lord was never a forgotten thing in the minds of people. But I'm speaking to you. I'm speaking to you. Don't let the Lord become a forgotten thing. Be like Joshua. You know, be like Moses. Separate yourself. Have this intimacy with the Lord. And it's so cool because it's like, wow, you have intimacy with the Lord. You know, there's the saying, dead fish go with the flow. Don't be like a dead fish. You fight the current of culture. Right now, you can look in the church, you can look in the world, and you see absolutely no difference. No difference. I don't see it. You know, you have the pastors that speak like rock. They get their hair uh, highlights and all these things. And they wear their skinny jeans. And you know 50-year-old guy dressing like he's 18 years old. You know, freak. And then all of a sudden, they, they, they change their voice. They want to sound like rock stars. Stupid. You remember what the Lord chooses? 
If you remember when we, we, we looked at this like a little bit on Sunday. This is a, in closing actually now. In 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> chapter 1, verse 26. For this is who the Lord chooses. He says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. Have you ever spoken to somebody who says, man, I'm so stupid. You know, I'm just weak. There's nothing fancy about me. I'm despised. You know what the voice of Satan says? Just jump off a bridge. Just kill yourself. Go hang yourself. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It's not a it's not a fast track to heaven. Despite what a lot of famous pastors will say. Despite what all these famous pastors espouse. Yeah, go ahead and blow your brains out. It's a fast track to heaven. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Yeah, it's like, wow, you know, you feel weak. You feel despised. You feel foolish. Praise the Lord. That's what God chooses. That's what God chooses. Look at Moses. Who did he have? Everything that he knew about himself and his lineage was just thrown in the garbage because he realized, wow, I'm not Egyptian. Who is the God of the Hebrews wandering in the wilderness and the whole time the Lord was doing something in him for such a time as this to lead the people Israel? Into the land of milk and honey. So it's like, wow, that no flesh should glory in the presence of the Lord. He says, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That is, as it is, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. God is at work. God is at work. What I have to do, what you have to do, is let him do the work in our hearts, in our minds, in these vessels. And then he fills us up. And then the outpouring, that's it's beautiful. Beautiful to witness. So we're going to end our study here. And we'll...